0: Mac Observer's Mac Geek episode 511 for Sunday, July 20th, 2014. Mm-hmm.
1: Welcome to the Mac Observers Mac Geek Cab, the show where you send in questions and tips. We'll do cool stuff found maybe next show. Uh, we answer your questions, we share your tips. We all try to learn something new each and every time we come together here. This episode is sponsored by, by uh, the folks at E3 Software, directmailmac.com, which we will talk about a little bit later in the show. And also by lynda.com, L-Y-N-D-A dot com slash M-G-G gets your free week there. We'll talk about that a little bit later in the show here in Durham, New Hampshire. I'm Dave Hamilton. And here in a lunar
0: state of mind uh, here in Fairfield, Connecticut, this is Jonathan Braun. A because, lunar state
1: of mind. I like that. Well,
0: why do I say that? Well, because today is the... Uh, based on what I see on the internet. Otherwise I don't think I would have remembered, but apparently today is the 45th anniversary of Apollo 11, where some guy walked
1: on the moon. If you believe they put a man on the moon.
0: If you believe that sort of thing and that it wasn't staged at area
1: 51. I I love, um, (laughs) I love it. When I, when I fly to Vegas, uh, if I happen to go through Chicago and I do often because I, I have a lot of miles on American. So I, I often wind up flying American. And so I have to connect through Chicago because there's rarely any direct flights from Boston to Vegas um, unless I take jet blue. But anyway, that trip from Chicago down to Vegas flies you right over the spot where they fake the Apollo moon landings. And that's what I always <laughs> love to tell someone who's sitting in the window seat. I, just, I say it like that. I say, Oh, Hey, actually, if you look right out there, you can see where they fake the Apollo moon landings and, that always gets a rise out of people. I don't think they actually fake them. I, I think they were real, but, um, but uh, I do love my conspiracy theories. I remember I emotionally support all conspiracy theories, whether or not I believe in all of them uh, is sort of irrelevant because I emotionally support everyone. I wish they were all true. Uh, but, uh, but this yeah. one, I think, I think is actually not it a was, conspiracy. It was probably a very,
0: either it was an incredibly accurate, Fabrication, or yeah, or someone actually did walk in the boat because I remember a number of years ago, I actually saw it, it was another country uh, that was showing their alleged, um, you know, uh, we, we leased them the travel. space,
1: we leased them the space to, uh, to fake. Oh, their no, own but landing what exam. I
0: saw in the video, unless someone doctored the video, is that it was showing these guys supposedly doing space training and you could see a bubble. Um, you know, kind of rise from the bottom to the top of the body of water that they were in to simulate the effects of, uh, you know, uh, space travel, which I understand is one thing they sometimes do. Sure, sure. To simulate, you know, the low gravity it is to you try to muck about in water.
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> Good stuff. Hey, but as you said, you know what? I, I I thought there was a company that's
1: actually going to be opening up a spaceport. I guess at some point, I don't know if it's going to be the moon or Mars or what, man. But uh, yeah. Leave it to Branson and Elon Musk, right? Those are the those are the guys who are going to lead the charge there, I think. And Richard Garriott, I I, I would not count him out, right? I mean, because he's he's nuts about this stuff. So, I, but I don't know that he's interested in furthering anything other than his own bucket list, uh, Richard Garriott. But um, but he, you know, he he lives in that world, right? I mean, he went into space. He was the first second private citizen, uh, right? That that paid his way into space. I think. Uh, and that that's actually an interesting movie too, Man on a Mission. Uh, so you should check that out because that that's actually a fantastic movie. Although the cut that I saw at South by Southwest when it first rolled out, whatever it was, a year and a half, two, three, two years ago, three years ago, I think was a better movie. It told a better story than the the one that we get on Netflix now. But uh, but we'll put a link to that in the show notes. While we're here, you know, uh, we have uh, I I, I meant to talk about this last week, John, but I didn't. So I will talk about it now. A new update to our Mac GeekGab app uh, that adds all kinds of great stuff. We totally revamped the UI. Michael Johnston and Corey and I really worked together on 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 kind of fixing uh, some of the anomalies that had crept into the the previous ui and 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 even were just a part of the foundation of it uh this one hopefully uh for you is more intuitive uh and does a a great job of of managing all your mggs it manages the feedback that you can send It's easier to find things in it we've we've added all new navigation you just got to check it out the mac geek App app it's uh for for iphone uh you find it on the Uh, App store, of course, because that's the only place you can get apps. But uh, but Corey uh, did a killer job on this, uh, as did Michael with the uh, with the designs. I just basically, you know, made sure that they talked to each other and that that was and and then complained when things weren't exactly as I I liked them. But uh, so we did that. Um, So you should definitely check that out uh, because it's awesome and we love it. And I think you'll love it, too. I hope you will. Let us know what you think, though. Check that out. Uh, the other thing we did, we had, I think it was, uh, I, I can't remember. It might've been listener Alex I, I, off the top of my head. I can't remember, but he suggested, he said, you know, you should put your show notes links in your iTunes feed uh, previously. All we'd had was the little blurb of the description of the show. And, uh, and he showed me a, actually it was a Mac power users show that puts the, you know, the links in there. And I thought, what a great idea. And so without, this was just as I was going through feedback the other day, John, I took 30 minutes, hacked up uh, an addition to the RSS feed, tested it, screwed it up, tested it some more, screwed it up, tested it, finally got it right, pushed it out. And now uh, thanks to listener Alex and, and uh, with for the idea and a moderate around amount of coding on my part, uh, but nothing substantial because all I did was steal the idea and figure out how to implement it. And uh, And now we have... Uh, not just in the Mac geek app app, which has always had access to the show notes uh, and the links. But I think every uh, podcatcher out there will now see the, uh, the show notes and the links. So thank you. Thanks to, I want to, again, I want to say it was Alex. And, uh, and if I'm wrong, I sincerely apologize because it was just a killer idea.
0: So, so what, uh, what language was it? Pearl? Did you do Pearl or? Uh...
1: Um, well, it, it's, it, the, our RSS feeds are generated by the templating engine inside of expression engine, which <laughs> a, a, expression engine is the content management system that we used. E E um, it, it's based on uh, the code igniter framework of PHP. And so there's some PHP in there, but I, for this particular thing, I don't think I did any PHP. Basically what, uh, what you're doing for the templates there is just coding HTML and, oh. um, and, and then right. dropping in, uh, uh, variable names, you know, as, as placeholders so that they get populated with the, with the right stuff and you create loops and, you know, so there's a, there's a single loop of that, that it iterates through for each item, uh, that it's going to display. And it depends on which feed you get, how many items are in it. But you know, the main feed, I think we have the 30 most recent and, uh, and I'd actually be curious to your opinions on that, right? Because we put 30 in the main feed, would anybody ever want more? We do have a feed that would let you go all the way back to, to show number one. Uh, and that's certainly available. But, um, but the one that we publish in iTunes, I only go back 30, but I mean, we could, we could go back further. We just, we don't, um, see, it seemed more efficient that way, but maybe, maybe, maybe somebody else has a better idea. I don't know. It was, I saw it was an idea Alex
0: here, Dave. Uh, I just saw an idea if I can mention it. Yeah, of course you mentioned anything. Maybe we'll get, Maybe we'll get to the show. Sure. <laughs> this is the show. <laughs> but um, I, I saw a suggestion here. And actually, I, I think it's it's one that you and I should toss around here. But um, MLV in our chat room. And where is our chat? What is our chat room? What is that? What is com in?
1: slash stream.
0: Right. And you can participate in either a text chat via IRC or um, listen to the live audio. Or you may dare to do both. That's right. If you can handle multiple streams of... Uh,
1: so what was MG, uh, What was MLV's question, John? Well,
0: MLV basically said, uh, uh, will our app be coming to Android? Uh, and he says, I ask and then scurry away to avoid the glares of the homo... Man- huh. oh, I like that. I don't even Sing- know what that word is. I think that's single platform maniacs. Uh, ah. um, I mean, allegedly, Android does has a, have a larger market share than iOS, so wouldn't it kind of make sense... Uh, so well, I don't know because I mean Android. So you're talking Java, which right now, you know, as far as I know, our code is, is Objective C. So uh.
1: hey, listen, we, I have I have, and I can't imagine you would either, John. I have nothing against a, a, an Android app for for Mac Geek app. Uh, It would need to be coded probably from scratch. And John, if you want to do it, or if any listener wants to do it, seriously, no. And I'm I'm not. uh, Well, honestly, I'm not a Java type of guy. I thought you. uh, I thought that was your. I thought that was your jam. I thought Java was you. No. Oh Oh, no. C C. I thought you did a ton of Java stuff. Oh, I mean, I know you did C as well. For
0: several years, I worked in an environment where we were doing R and D work, and and everybody on the team wanted to do Java. Okay. If anything, I would link my Java to C using something uh, I think they called back then Java, Java native interface. But, okay. Uh, no, my, my uh, although my first language, I think that I learned was basic on my trust. Well, Apple II. Right. Yeah. Um, and then I think the next language uh, was assembler on the Apple II. And mm. then I think the first one in school was Pascal, which yeah. was a bad idea at the time. No,
1: but, <laughs> but Pascal was good. At, right. I mean, it, it was basic without line numbers and that, in and of itself, was kind of a good mind shift, right? You, you know, learning about functions and 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 the, the conceptually getting away from line numbers as your bible to you know uh, uh, functions, it, it, right? It, I mean, it it's sort of objecty-ish, right? You know, right.
0: Well, it changed you from what I call a procedural or functional language like Basic mm-hmm. to something less like that, and I would say Pascal was a bridge to, to other things but no i'm because i do mostly low-level stuff i'm a I'm a c type of guy yeah but um, no that makes sense no but in the back of my mind i was like gee you know i wonder if they got a conversion tool to convert convert objective c to uh java and i i doubt there's one or if there is it probably doesn't do it very well yeah yeah you'd have to write it from scratch but that's my understanding is java is is
1: pretty much what you're going
0: to do if you're doing android
1: I, I i did not know that that makes sense sure sure yeah you know um I, I'm, I'm going to jump to our first sponsor here, John, because it is so uh, appropriate to, to talk about this. So uh, I want to talk about Linda at lynda.com. Uh If you go to lynda.com slash M G G, you get a free week, seven days uh, of Linda. And Linda is a, an awesome place. They, they have uh, over 2000 video, uh, tutorials but they're classes i mean a tutorial makes it sound like some you know uh, cheap youtube video It, it it's not even you couldn't get further from the truth right other than you can watch them both on your computer what linda does is they are these are super well produced they're very not only are they great uh, content, well-researched, but they're really, really well-produced videos cutting back and forth between seeing the speaker and 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 then something else appropriate. Sometimes their, their screen, if they're teaching you something on the, you know, uh, like an app, like, like if you want to learn Logic or even GarageBand. I mean, they, you know, they've got stuff of all realms and you can bounce back and forth and actually see the teacher moving through whatever app it is and and doing whatever lesson it is right there. So you get to actually see it Sometimes it'll be slides if it's, you know, I, I actually uh, took a couple of business courses uh, in this and, and they were pretty good. I never went to business school. You know, I, I, I actually I, I went to college for a little while, but I never finished. And uh, and there were some really, really good things in there. And, uh, and and so depending on what's appropriate for the course, you get all of that. And you can learn Java. You can learn C, you can learn Objective C. I mean, they have all this stuff in there. So if you want, if you want to program the Mac Geekab app, you could learn Java from Linda. There you go. LYNDA.com slash MGG. They've added some other courses recently too. Um, if you're a QuickBooks Online user, right, QuickBooks Online just uh, came out and, and they're, they're doing all that, that stuff. They've got a new course for, for QuickBooks Online. Uh, they have a course now for jQuery uh, for mobile which is actually pretty cool because there's so much stuff happening with mobile. Um, John, you mentioned C sharp. They've got a new course out there for that. They've got a ton of courses about photography, how to become a better photographer. And that, you know, I, I never fancied myself. well, I guess when I was a younger kid, I, uh, I, cause I'm just an older kid now, but when I was a younger kid, I, I fancied myself a photographer and had all kinds of cameras, but I, um, you know, I, I just never caught, I really never caught the bug. I know you did, John. Uh, but now we all have cameras in our pockets all the time. And so, you know, taking an hour or two to take a, a couple of photography courses uh, probably would, would help all of us just to just to get some basic knowledge so that we know what the heck we're supposed to be doing. Uh, so check all of this out. L-Y-N-D-A dot com slash M-G-G gets you a seven day free trial and uh, and you could watch videos for, you know, 24 hours a day, seven days a week uh, for that that week. And it's free. Right. If if you want. And then you continue after that. And they've got different pricing. It, it starts at about twenty five bucks a month. And and once you once you buy in, it's a subscription. You again, unlimited access. So I don't know where else you could get this kind of uh, training for that kind of price. I mean, it, this is super well-produced stuff. And the folks at Linda have been at this for a long time. They know what they're doing. They've got, uh, I said over 2000, it's actually over 2,400 courses uh, that they, that they have in there and they've done more than 2,400, right? They expire out the old ones that are no longer relevant and replace them with an update uh, or, or sometimes just a new course that, that makes more sense in today's world. So check it out. You have nothing to lose. Uh other than perhaps uh, time sitting there playing some some game or you know checking Facebook, instead of doing that for an hour, uh, you know twice a week, go to Linda and uh, and learn two new things this week, right? Lynda.com slash mgg. That's my geek challenge to you: is just go there, lynda.com dot slash mgg. And learn about two new things this week. The time that you would have burned, uh, you know, mucking around on Twitter or Facebook, you're not going to take all of it away. I've just taken like two hours of it away and, and spend it learning something else. I bet you'll thank yourself and, and you don't even have to thank us. It's totally fine. That, but that's, that's our challenge to you. So check it out. LYMDA.com slash MGG. All right, John. Let's, uh, let's go to John, shall we? Listener John. Is that yes. The other John. Okay. The other, the, the, J-O-N. The other guy J O N that's right. He says, uh, Dave, I know you're looking for a new email provider, uh, but in the meantime, I'm having a strange reproducible issue with Gmail. He says, I have a paid Google apps for business account. Uh, he says, I found nothing useful when Googling. My issue is I can successfully send and receive emails on all of my accounts. No problem. However, On both my iPhone and iPad, when I search in mail and it shows searching all mailboxes, it gives me a list of results. But if I keep scrolling down, it eventually says my username or password is incorrect for my Gmail account. I can still send and receive just fine. I'm assuming it's some sort of connection limit in Gmail, but I find it strange that I'm the only one finding it to be a problem. Any ideas on how I can solve it? Uh... It is not strange, you are not the only one experiencing this problem. Everyone that I know that has tried to search in Gmail experiences this problem and it it is exactly what what you're talking about. N- Gmail does have a a limit. I think it's 15 simultaneous connections. Uh it might be more cuz you have a paid account, but I'm not convinced of that. I think it's 15 no matter who you are. And and that may sound like a lot but mail will open up multiple connections. A mail on your Mac actually opens up tons. Uh, but even mail on iOS will open up multiple connections, especially when you are searching and it's trying to aggregate data from multiple mailboxes. So it very quickly hits that wall. Uh, there's a couple of ways to work around it. Number one is if you store everything in an archive mailbox or, you know, all mail, uh, you can, there's a little tab, uh, or there's two tabs at the top of the search box or search uh, list in iOS mail, both on iPad and, and iPhone. And, uh, and you can either choose current mailbox or all mailboxes. If you choose current mailbox, that can help because it limits the number of connections that it's going to make to Gmail. Uh, But even that isn't a hundred percent reliable. What I have moved to is actually something that Adam Christensen from MacCast recommended to me a couple of months ago, I installed the Gmail app for iOS and I don't use it to send and receive mail typically, uh, but it is perfect for searching because it's essentially a web view. It's not really an email app like mail is where it stores all kinds of stuff locally and and connects over IMAP. This is just a uh, shell around a web view to Gmail and it works very, very well, uh, especially for searching because you're just doing it, uh, doing it that way. So Keep the Gmail for iOS app around. Use that when you need to search. Uh, and I, I don't, I would love to say use it until, uh, you know, Apple and Google get together and make the searching better. <laughs> yeah, right, John, your your reply kind of <laughs> says it all. Keep the Gmail for iOS app around.
0: Well, I guess what I'm saying is that I. I my observation is that uh, doing any sort of searching or, I don't know, a lot of email access on iOS is less not always a pleasant experience because not all the data is there. It's, it's you know, part of the nature of the device. that You may not have, you know, a full index for search or, you know, even the latest messages um, downloaded to the device is what I found. Search I've usually had work pretty good, but then I don't do a lot of searching. You know, I'm using, I'm not really using Gmail that often. But when I've done a search, yeah, sometimes it takes a while because I think it's generating a index file or creating a, a search file in the background. I've, I've never had a timeout, but then again, I've never, you know, I've, I've never had that error, yeah. but then again, I, I don't do, uh, now that I've moved over, we really don't do any Gmail based, uh, yeah. email searches. So, right. uh, it sounds like you still do. I mean, TMO last I checked, you know, our, our Mac eGab is still, you know, using Google it is. foundation, but yep. that's, yep yep. that's really the only one. And then again, yeah, my TMO email as well. But, uh,
1: yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, You know, another tip that came up, uh, listener Andrew wrote in and said something weird's going on. Uh, When I duplicate a keynote document, it's in the duplicate is invariably smaller than the one I started with. And uh, he's like this. this, Something's not right. I'm losing data. What's going on? And we went back and forth. And uh, when he duplicates in the finder. Files are the same size as you would expect them to be and as they should be. So so that was good news. What's happening, though, is if inside Keynote, he chooses to duplicate it, the duplicate come, which is now the new term for save as right. Um, The duplicate comes out much smaller. And I'd seen this in the past uh, with previous versions of Keynote. Keynote stores all kinds of stuff, extra stuff that you may not be using in your presentation. As you pull images in and out and movies in and out and all kinds of, you know, media uh, it stores full size copies of that uh, extra stuff that it might not need. When you choose duplicate, it creates a copy with everything that you need and nothing extra, none of the extra stuff that it's sort of accumulated along the way. Um, it it's you know for those of you that and this is going to go way back but you know office 97 on windows had save and quick save right and quick save would just save changes and the file would just get bigger and bigger but if you actually did a save as you could you could shrink it down it's the same kind of thing happening here and it's it's normal it's it's what it's always done in keynote but it is sort of i mean when it says duplicate it doesn't say duplicate and and you know strip out the the cruft it says duplicate right so you expect some consistency there so i I totally get why andrew would have been thrown off by this but but it is normal behavior and and if you use it to your advantage it can actually be a good thing if you want a real copy of everything that's in that presentation though you've gotta um you've got to do it do a copy in the finder because that will create a full copy as it as it should so interesting right john
0: so I think what you may lose is if you start off fresh it may be smaller but you you may know depending on uh, what type of work you're doing whether it involves graphics or sound or things like that you may experience maybe not as very nice performance because because based on what you said a lot of this stuff is probably like cached or older versions or or you know undos things like that that, yeah. that kind of get glommed in there and yeah when you when you you know make it fresh then all that stuff's gone so that's I right. That's I think cat risk caches I mean, it's like, is what something. You value? Yep. Yeah. So it's, do you value speed or do you value less storage space? Okay.
1: Yeah. And it's not just speed. I mean, I think there are some caches that, that are in there that get wiped out, but I think a lot of it is, is sort of the, the media that is in there, uh, but unused uh, or yeah. larger copies of things that, you know, you've shrunk down or, or whatever it turns out to be that, That's the stuff I've seen stripped out in previous versions. So it it might be a speed thing, but it actually might be faster with the smaller copy because it's not trying to manage all that data. So yeah, it's interesting. Keeps it. Apple keeps us on our toes. What were we saying pre-show that, uh, that, that, this show is just a support group for everybody that's stuck using an Apple product that you know, made the wrong decision <laughs> and we should we shouldn't be programming in Java and, and writing Android apps, but, uh, but you're not. And so here we are and we're here to help. No, no, no. That's <laughs> all right, John, should we, uh, should we let JP take us into, uh, we've got a couple of, you know, we had, uh quite a few things about airport networks and guest networks and so uh, so it's not not a full blown Wi-Fi thing we, we just did that but a couple of specific things to, uh, to guest networks we'll let JP lead us in
2: hey John hey Dave JP out in California question about wireless routers on my uh, new brand new airport I understand I can make a uh, a guest network Uh, The question is, can I make the guest network 5G and the main network, you know, N compatible, you know, and backwards compatible with the rest? The reason I ask is I have a Nest thermostat. It is the first generation. And guess what the Nest thermostat doesn't do? It doesn't talk to 5G networks or N networks. It only talks to G. So, Naturally, I have to keep a G network running for my Nest thermostat, but I'd really love to take advantage of the speeds of a 5G uh, uh, sub-network. You think I can just do that in the interface separately, create a guest network, or does, does the uh, guest network, can it not be full of fun and fastest 5G? Cut me off, please.
1: You are cut off. John, you want to take it? I'm glad
0: you cut him off because I'm I'm a bit confused by the question. So let's try to parse the question here. Yeah. Yeah. So, good call. One, he has the latest airport. Yep. All right. Let's review. That offers Um, 802.11ac. Right. Um, Both 2.4 or, or no, I'm sorry. That's a five gigahertz only. Is that correct? That's correct. Yep. Okay. Then you have 802.11NG, you know, the older bands, and those are either 2.4 or 5. Yeah. You okay. Have a primary network and a guest network. Okay. Now his question was, can I get? I, I believe the question that I heard was, can I get the guest network connecting with my nest to be 5G or 5 gigahertz? I think he meant
1: 5. Gigahertz I, I think 5G. so. As opposed to 802.11g, which is 54 megabits. Right. I mean, it, 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 there, there's some questions there, but. I, I mean, I think the answer is all of the above. Yes.
0: So the thing is in the UI for the airport, at least mine, and I assume it's the same for the AC. Mm-hmm. You cannot choose which band the guest network is on. Right. Make an assumption. I think it's a safe assumption is that the guest network will accept either 2.4 or 5. It'll accept a connection on any valid well, band that the device supports with uh, a caveat that I'll introduce, but it sounds like you have something to say and I want to hear what you have to say.
1: Yeah. I, the guest network and this, this is true of every consumer model device that I've seen with a guest network. It's not creating a second wireless signal. It's sending a, another ssid out that you can connect to separately and which can be routed separately internally and that's sort of the beauty of the guest network is you can have the guest network sort of uh pipe people only to your internet connection but not able to access say you know your file servers locally on your network that's the point of the guest network is it's sort of a sideband kind of thing um but the guest network is on the same radios, right, you, you know, in this in this base station, you've got two radios, the five gigahertz radio and the two point four gigahertz radio, whatever you have them set to for your main network. Now, it is pot by default. They're both on and they're both in, you know, full uh, compatibility mode. Right. So anything that can talk on on it will talk. You can change that. You could turn off your two point four if you wanted. Right. And only have five gigahertz on whatever you set your main network to is what your guest network is going to be. It is the same radio. It's the same channel. It's the same, uh, uh, wireless infrastructure. It's just a different, it's broadcasting a different SSID, a different network name. And when you connect to it in theory, uh, it's routing the connection differently. And that, that's sort of the point of the guest network. So it, it, there's not a different radio being configured here is, it's, is the important thing I, to remember.
0: I think in 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 computer geek speak, we would say that they're logically separated, but not physically separated. I love right.
1: it. Oh, that's, ah, good. that's awesome.
0: Now, yes. computer science people are just going to love that because that is how we speak mm-hmm. computer, or a lot of computer networking people in that. Essentially, the two are. They can't see each other. And that is the intent, as Dave said, with the guest network, is that it shouldn't see. And actually, I want to mention a sideline, Dave, and then, then I'll get to another tangent. But um, I've actually noticed this. So, for example, I have a VPN set up on, on my Synology. Yeah. If I start a guest network on my airport and I try to connect to the VPN, it will not work. And on the one hand, I'm surprised, but then I'm not because I think it's smart enough to realize, okay, this is something that's connected to me. And even though you're giving me an IP address or it could be something else, but I I think it's kind of doing its job almost too well because I would have expected it to work, but it didn't. And then if I go on my guest network and try to connect to my VPN, because the VPN is connected to the same airport, it doesn't work. It just sits there and kind of spins. Yeah. So I don't know if that's happening because they didn't do it right. I suspect it's more happening because the guest network is actually doing its job. It's like, no, you can't go there, man, because it's
1: right now it might work if you again this would this would be a feature of your router some routers will allow like like if you have port forwarding set up on your router and you are at my house and you say to connect to your router's external ip address uh to connect to your vpn and your port forwarding is set up correctly then it will forward from your router to your synology and then you can log into your vpn that way uh mm. some routers And I don't know if Apple's current software allows this or not, uh, but will allow some routers will allow you from internal from inside your network to say, I want to connect to my routers external IP and and act as though I were coming in from the outside. And and it's possible that if you did that, John, from your guest network, it would work possible, not guaranteeing anything. But if you try to connect to the.
0: because i'm also using ddns which is
1: yeah right yeah yeah so if you try to connect to your dynamic dns name uh then that would be the you know that would be the equivalent of connecting to your external ip so yeah it might it might work and again it depends on how apple has the the router configured so right okay but
0: about jp he's like can i do this and so the one suggestion i have right now i i didn't quite answer it but i'm gonna answer it i'm gonna try go but, um so again, as far as I know, the guest network uh, doesn't give you any ability to choose the frequency. The The regular network does. On the airport, at least, you can separate the 2.4 and the 5 gigahertz, uh, and you can create a separate SSID for both. But the, the answer is the guest network. You cannot do that. As far as I know, it's just automatic. Now, if you do run into a case where it's not connecting quite right, because I, I did look up some support articles about the Nest, and some people suggested that the Nest sometimes gets confused that it may, I mean, I can't think it's so confused that if it tried to connect to the guest network, that it wouldn't do it because it didn't support five gigahertz. It would just be like, okay, well you're 24. Oh, yeah. Right. And it's like, right, yeah, sure. Right. I can't imagine, but, but I, I have read support tickets where they said, you know, the nest is kind of dumb in that, um, you know, it kind of connected to my, you know, the strongest signal versus what I told it to, but I don't have a nest. So I don't know if you guys want to send me one. Great. though. <laughs> yeah yeah talk to google um, the about final, that the final piece of advice that oh that's right yeah yeah they're kind of bouncing around right now the final piece of advice i could give is that if your nest is not connecting in a way that you would like there is a way to fine tune uh the radios within um at least using the airport utility so if you run the airport utility you click on your base station you go to wireless tab and then you click on wireless options you will see Uh, Well, what I mentioned before, you can set up a separate 5 gigahertz network for your main uh, network. You can also select your country, of course. Please select the right one so you don't cause grief for everybody around you. Right. Uh, You can hide it, but then you see radio mode. Now, it's interesting. So radio mode, and normally and the way I have it set up is I'm like 802.11an, which is, okay, this is what you're going to do in 5 gigahertz. And then uh, dash 802.11bgn. That's what you're going to do in 2.4 gigahertz. And to me, that for most people, that's how you should have it set up. If somehow your your equipment is getting confused and connecting to the wrong radio or on the wrong frequency, well, you can click on that tab, Dave. And you, uh, Dave. Hey, Hab. Dave. <laughs> no, you didn't change your name. I and you will see three choices. But here's uh, what, uh, what I offer JP because I think it could be useful or just if you want to geek out. If you hold down option and you click on that menu, you're going to get one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, well lots
1: more depends on your
0: device 14 i believe 14 and yeah depending on the device so i have the fourth generation um extreme but you will see many many more options that let you very fine-tune the radio as as fine as you can get it so you can say only do 802.11a or only do that 80211 N with this radio or only do this or that with a 2.4 so if the thing is having problems and he's willing to you know, and it sounds like he, he rocks the the basics here, you know, the speeds and the bands and all that. So if the nest gets confused or just reset it, you know, like we said (laughs) for most problems, the way to
1: solve it is just turn everything off and back on again. That's right. So John, I have a question for you. You mentioned uh, that you use dynamic DNS. Yes. Uh, And for those of you that uh, don't understand the term, uh, what dynamic DNS does is uh, allows you to assign a name, a, a domain name, that remains constant to your routers uh, IP address that it gets that could change. A lot of times you're, you know, with cable modems and stuff, your, your IP address doesn't change, but even, even if it doesn't, it's often easier to remember, you know, something like, you know, Dave That's not me. Not anymore. But, um, but that, you know, it's something like that's easier to remember. And then you run a little client on some computer on your network to make sure that the address stays, stays up. Uh, but, DynDNS uh, just changed recently and stopped being free, which caused a lot of people to move around. So I'm curious what DynDNS, or dynamic DNS provider, you use, John? Just, just, just out of curiosity. Synology. That makes sense. Synology runs their own. That's right. In
0: that, yep. in that, I when I was setting up OpenVPN on my Synology, at one point in in you know the DSM screen, it said, "Hey, do you want to use?" dyn dns for this or i was just i happened to be on a screen that had to do with dyn dns and then when they said well you know click on this you know menu item to list all the providers i looked through and there was open dns but then i was like synology i'm like hmm okay well let let me visit them and see what's up with it and they were like yeah basically you know we do not warrant that this will work ever right (laughs) like most people again but they're like yeah it, it you know if, if you feel you have a right to this name you can register it, uh, register it under synology.me i believe is their uh how they're mapping it right so i have uh, yes.synology.me. synology.me yep and that maps to my ip address and then the synology client or the synology software every once in a great uh, every now and then will basically talk to their server saying okay here's john's public ip here's john's public ip Right. Just like yours, Dave. I looked yours up, and sure. you know it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out what we're at, at right. Synology. Me, okay? But yep, yep. <laughs> yep. No, work great. My only finger wag at them is every now and then they'll do system maintenance, yes, and all of a sudden I'll get an alert on my f- multiple devices saying, "Oh my gosh, your DDNS is broken."
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: And the so first time I, they did that to me, they sent me an email saying, "Yes, yeah, sorry, okay, we do system maintenance once a month, so between these two hours, you will get a message saying right. things are broken,' but they're not really." And and I proved this to myself is that I went to the terminal, I said, "NS lookup whatever." Yeah, no, it's, and it's like, there. yeah, here's the IP, and I'm like,
1: oh, good. Okay. So, uh, so that was long-winded, but but you answered the question. You use Synology. Uh, <laughs> I I have my Synology set up as you as you found, uh, but I. Uh, the, the synology has been weird. It's, it's more reliable now, but it has, there have been moments of weirdness. And so their D DNS. Yes. Right. Yeah. Their dynamic okay. DNS has been weird. Yep. So I have been, uh, I switched over to no IP N-O-I-P.com, and dot com, And, and although they had a huge issue where Microsoft actually seized, a bunch of their domain names for about four days. Uh, Seize them. (laughs) Yeah. It was this crazy thing. They didn't even know. Microsoft was complaining that, uh, that they were hosting dynamic DNS for like a lot of spammers and stuff or whatever. And so without even talking to them, Microsoft somehow convinced a judge to just turn over all the domains to, uh, to Microsoft. And Microsoft said, don't worry, we're just going to filter out the bad ones. And they totally screwed it up. They didn't just filter out. They filtered everything. So everybody's no IP stopped working for, it was like four days. I, 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 you know, I shut it off. I'm, I'm sure that the people at no IP, in fact, I know they, they took it quite seriously, but, uh, but they've got them all back now and everything's all good. And the judge said he wouldn't let that happen again. Mm. So, uh, so I'm using no IP. So, uh, so we'll throw, we'll throw all that in the, in the show notes. All right, John, while we were talking about guest networks, uh, you were, you went back and forth. You had a, another uh, very long kind of exchange back and forth with Nathan, but you learned something very important about setting up a guest network. And I think that advice is worth sharing.
0: Yes. And I will definitely uh, condense or coalesce this, shall I? (laughs) Go. Uh, Basically, Nathan wrote into us and he basically was saying, "Oh, you know, I've heard about this guest network thing and I think uh, his uh, statement was, I want to use it because some security podcast said that, you know, I should put certain devices on the guest network. It's like, cool. All right, that's a great idea. And he wrote back and he said, I can't get it to work. When I try to connect to the guest network, just doesn't work i asked specifically and i i think he eventually answered it but basically yeah it would just, it would just fail yeah uh you know he'd, he'd get a 169 address uh you know which just said you know this didn't work for whatever reason and uh sometimes the error messages aren't that great so then i asked him well then uh, no i'm sorry so he got back to me and i'm like yeah show me what you see so I'm not going to shake my fist or even wag my finger. But when, you know, when we get in these discussions back and forth that Dave and I do trying to help you solve your problems, a lot of times getting anything more than it's not working really helps. So (laughs)
1: So so tell us what you learned, because this is important. I don't want to lose the trail here. What I
0: saw. Right. And the trail is. So I'm like, what do you see? And what he saw is the thing I kind of touched on before he saw that no, he wasn't getting an error message. What he was getting was a one six nine dot whatever IP address when he tried to connect to the guest network. And you and I know this, Dave, and a lot of our listeners do. But uh, if you don't know what that means, here's what that means: If you get an You're IP address of the one six nine dot whatever, yeah, that means that DHCP, which is the mechanism that hands out addresses, means it has failed. So it's like, well, I'll give you this. I mean, see what but, you can but, do. With you, it. You,
1: hey, it, it, I'm going to give the punchline away because we got to get there. We can explain why, but it, it, the, you're, you're, you're explaining a lot of things that happen, and they're all correct. But the real trick, right, the is next level, is that, I said,
0: all right, what do you see on this screen?
1: The thing is, what he saw on another to, screen was just stop for a second. Connected, uh, stop for. I'm, I'm just going to give the punchline away, and then we can keep going. But well, I just think it's. I was going to was gonna say that his router is in bridge mode. That's okay? it. Guest networks don't work in bridge mode, and that's and and answer. all of this other stuff is why, right? Um, But. I think it's really important to be, you know, we talked about the guest network. Think about it. It's as you said, John brilliantly, it's physically the same, but logically different. Well, that logic has to happen somewhere. And if your router is, if your if your airport, uh, uh if your wireless access point is not your router, then it's not applying any logic. And therefore, you cannot have a, it, it cannot manage a guest network for you. It can't decide where to route these things if you've turned off the routing functionality inside right. it, which is what bridge mode does. So,
0: Right. Or the punchline being, you should have it in DHCP and NAT mode, not mm-hmm. bridge mode. So that's right. To, to, yeah. uh, to, to wrap this up, if you're in bridge mode, guest network will not work.
1: You can turn it on, but it, it and that's the, that's sort of and the that disconnect. That
0: disappoints me because uh, unless If somebody has gotten guest network to work in bridge mode, I'd love to know who you are because everything I found online said, no, it just doesn't work. Now it's, it's sad because Apple could warn you
1: about that. Right. Like, well, dude, guest network doesn't work. Yes. If I'm not your router, I can't manage a guest network. That's it. Right. Right. Yeah. But, you know, it wasn't an obvious thing until it. Until you got there, and then it was like, oh, of course, it's an obvious thing. Well, I suspect Duh. it, because I'm like,
0: yeah. answer me this question. And he's like, yeah, here's the answer. And I'm like, "That, that's what I suspected. Yeah.
1: No, that's right. That's right. It's good. It is good. All right. All right. Uh, I want to talk about our second sponsor for the show, John, which is uh, E3 Software at directmailmac.com. Now, uh, these guys, it, it, they make... Wow, they make they make a solution is what it is. Uh not a chemical solution. They might, that's not what we're talking about. They make a solution for anyone who needs to send needs or even wants to send out email uh to a group or a list of people. And they do such a good, they've been doing this for a long time. And you know, that, that's a thread with people that do things well, right? We've, we've seen this. Thankfully, computers have been in existence long enough where, uh, you know, you get some expertise in very niche areas. And these guys have it here. Direct Mail Mac is a Mac app, right? You download it, you install it on your Mac. Uh, it feel, It's a first-class Mac citizen. You can design the way you want your emails to work. You can, uh, you, you know, you're, you're using an app that feels like a Mac app because it is a Mac app. It's also tied to a service and the service is on the back end uh, on their end, where you send your mail through their mail servers. Uh, and that's 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 a really important thing. You know, if you're trying to send out uh, a, a mailing list, even if it's, it's to like, you know, maybe 30 people. Uh, chances are your mail server is not going to let you send that out. You know, your Comcast mail server, even Gmail isn't going to let you send out email like that. They're not built for it. They don't want to be the place where you go to blast out, you know, email to people. And if you use the wrong mail server, you know, if you find some, you know, Joe Schmo's server that you can use to send out that mail, chances are most of your recipients won't receive it because uh, when you are in the business of sending Bulk email, which is what this becomes, you know, even if it's like a you know thirty to fifty people, or if it's thirty thousand people, uh, you need to play by a lot of rules so that you don't get classified as a spammer. And the direct mail Mac folks, the E three software folks really grok this and, and work with that. And it is a non-trivial task. It's not the kind of thing where you can say, well, it's just me. So I'll set up my mail. nope. If you want to ma- manage your own mail server, you now need to m- go make sure you're a not on any blacklists and B you're on all the white lists and, you know, C, you're you're staying up to date with all the standards and making sure that, you know, you play the way that everybody wants to receive. And a, you've got friends at AOL that aren't going to bounce your mail and B you've got friends at, at you know, the post office at, at Gmail and aren't going to bounce your mail. Right. I mean, it's, there's a lot that goes on. It's you know half technology, I think, and half politics. It's re- it, short answer. It's important, and it's better to pass this off to somebody that knows what they're doing. And uh, and the folks at at E3 really know what they're doing in this regard, and they make it super easy. You know, you you um, the software you download, it's free, uh, and then you can send out mail, and and you pay when you send out mail, but it's it's super cheap. Uh, you you buy credits and each credit is worth one email or each email costs one credit and you can do it any way you want. You know, you can, uh, you can buy a monthly subscription that lets you send an unlimited number of time to uh, a fixed number of subscribers. And the more subscribers you have, you more, the more you pay Uh, less than 500 subscribers or 500 and less is uh, 15 bucks a month. And you could send all day long to all of them. If you, if you so chose, they probably unsubscribe because you know, that's a lot of mail. But, uh, but you can also then buy, and, and then it just renews every month. Uh, and that, that's the way that works. You can also pay as you go. Uh, and it, for 500 email credits, it starts at 15 bucks. But those don't expire at the end of the month. You, you can send out 500 emails. And once you send out 500, well, now you, you're out of credits and you got to re-up. Uh, but they, the app is, is right there. It can import from your contacts. It can import from FileMaker. It can import from comma-separated files. You know, however you want to get your data in. And what's cool is, you know, I mentioned you can use, you can design your own stuff, you can use their templates, you can, and they've got some beautiful templates uh, built in they figured out what works, you know. And they, uh, if you come up with your own template, uh, they have the ability to let you do design testing to see screenshot previews of what your email will look like in over 30 popular email clients on, you know, Mac and Windows and, you know, Outlook and all of that stuff. Um, And the same email can really look different uh, in, in different clients. And so they've, they've got this, you, you do your design and then you send it out, uh, or you send it up to their server and it'll, it'll show you what this is going to look like in all these different email clients. Um, they also support subscribe forms, uh, it's got a feature that lets you build and customize a subscribe form and then gives you the URL to that form to post on your site. They host the, the, the form for you. Um, and you can embed it in your, in your site or your Facebook page. And then when someone subscribes to your form, uh, it shows up immediately inside your direct mail, uh, address book. So you've just got them right there. And, and, and so it's a system. It, yes, it's a Mac app, but it's a Mac app that ties into this, this system. It's, it's really kind of a marriage of the two. Definitely check it out. They're, they're good folks there too, uh, which is, you know, super important in today's world. So, uh, directmailmac.com. make sure you tell them that sent you because, uh, because we like that. We appreciate that. They appreciate it too. So if you got anything, you know, you want to send out, I mean, if you're a big company and you want to send out mail, this is the place to do it. If you're organizing a summer barbecue, this is the place to do it. It's super super cheap. You know, you're, you're paying pennies per, uh, per email. So do it right. And even, even just to be able to use their design tools, it makes it worth it. So check it out. Directmailmac.com. com. All right, John, uh, one last one about uh, airport. Go to, uh, take yep, us to Josh, if you would, speed please. speed this up. Oh, you're fine. You're but fine. I'll also
0: offer a uh, bonus tip. Mm. All right. I like it. You like that? I do. All right. So Josh writes, and, and hi, Josh. Thank you. So greetings, fellow geekers. I'm considering replacing my old wireless router with an airport router. I love the latest and greatest tech. However, I'm wondering if in my circumstances, the biggest and baddest would be overkill. I live in a small apartment and sadly have relatively normal speed internet. I don't know what that means. Um, The Extreme looks freaking awesome. (laughs) But maybe all I need is the Express. I don't need network storage, so I ruled out the time capsule. Just wondering if you could give me the pros and cons of the Extreme versus the Express. And what would be your best advice for picking one? Thank you so much. Um much praise and honor uh following that so i think we can summarize that so here's my advice dave and i'd love to get your input but here's my initial advice to him so do you want the latest now the thing is i decided you may not want the latest so uh, so i used as a reference point not the 802.11ac apple unit but the 802.11n version that preceded it both on, because it sounds like he's torn between the extreme or the express. Okay. Now here's the gig. Here's the deal with the extreme and the express. And now I have personally the fourth generation. The latest now is the fifth generation for the 802.11n. So here are the differences, Dave. So they both have one WAN ethernet port, which this is the ethernet port that you connect to your router, which connects to right. your service provider. Okay. The Extreme has three, so they both have one LAN port. The Extreme has three LAN ports, which are the ports that connect to your local network. The Express has one LAN port. Here's the bad news, and I want to point this out, and I think this is very important, Dave. The Extreme is gigabit Ethernet or 100 base T or 100 megabits per second. The Express uh, is only
1: 100. And the gigabit is 1,000. You said gigabit or, or 100.
0: 100 megabits. Gigabit- I'm sorry a thousand that's I'm sorry, what i'm 1, saying thousand megabits yeah. is a gigabit right so between the two of them and to me that is the probably achilles heel of the express is that it only has 100 megabits and yeah. not a thousand megabits yeah or
1: gigabit to me that's the downer with that though you you pay or don't pay for it it sounds crazy you, to, to to think that you need a a, a gigabit wan port but my connection now, which I don't pay, I mean, I don't pay any extra to get this. It, it's just sort of the, I don't have the slowest that they would sell me, but I have, you know, kind of the, the middle of the road. And Comcast now I have, my my downstream connection is 105 uh, megabits a second. So that I need gigabit, I you know, if I want to get that uh, from them.
0: Yeah. So I would say yeah. for a lot of people, especially if you have fiber or cable um, yeah. And they offer gigabit then the express will disappoint you on the other hand if you're doing either dial up and i know there are lots of people that still do dial up or dsl which tends to be probably under 100 megabits yeah then maybe the express will do it for you for now you connect it to a switch or a hub or something for now right yeah um i think today, it's both? important
1: oh go ahead i'll, I'll let you finish <clears throat> and i i've got some stuff to say all right go so
0: ahead the extreme and the express both have a usb port you can connect them either a printer and then you can do remote printing which is pretty cool and i i do that uh pretty frequently to a hp inkjet or um you can though it's unsupported until the airport 802.11 ac apple never officially supported you hooking a hard drive to your airport no they they support it it.
1: they just don't support it for time machine
0: Right, right, right. So they support it for, I guess, AirPlay uh, or, or not AirPlay, just file Airplay, sharing. Air, right? But they always had this in the disk. way saying, yeah. "We do not support this for Time Machine." Right. The AC was the first model where they said, "Yes, we officially support you doing this," though it usually worked. <laughs> All right. So third thing: yeah, wireless go. on Extreme is three by three. Wireless on Extreme on Express, I am sorry, is two by two. Mm. Keep that in mind. All right. Yep. You will not get the maximum wireless speed if you have the Express. You may not need that.
2: Well, and you will fourth.
0: Go ahead. Well, well, it only has a two by two radio based on the, on the research that yeah. I did. Yeah. Uh, and the fourth thing is the Express has an audio jack, so you can do AirPlay. And for my setup, Dave, uh, my Express is an extension. It's not my primary, and it works fine for me because <laughs> for the most part, I use it both both as a Wi-Fi extension, but also I love to AirPlay to it yeah so that's cool now if you're considering all right so i just compared the 802.11 uh airport fifth generation extreme versus second generation express now if you want to consider the airport extreme 802.11 ac here's the two things that it adds including money um has 802.11 ac which is 1.3 gigabits per second and it does not have snmp as far as i can tell other than the funky shape that's the only difference between that and the 802.11 N models.
1: Well, yeah, it, it, it's it got a better antenna configuration inside oh, it. Oh, absolutely,
0: because of the, uh, I think primarily because of 802.11 AC. Yeah, uh, I, I agree, and it's funky looking and stuff, it, but, you know, as far as ports and stuff like that, it... it it's got a faster processor in it.
1: Uh, okay. It, it, it's a, okay. I, you know, I think you're going to get more throughput out of that even right. on your N connections than you would, uh, you know, there's just a lot more... R&D that went into, I mean, we've learned a lot, right? And so, so the hardware is way better. It's way faster. And I, I think discounting 802.11 AC right now is a mistake. Uh, I, you know, I don't have yeah. any AC devices in my house, but my three routers are AC, you know, my one router and two access points uh, support AC. And I, I do, I have the bare extender that I can use through the USB three, uh, hub, uh, USB three Thunderbolt adapter thing that I have. And, and it works, right. Uh, but I don't use it. Uh, but I think, you know, if you're buying something today, why would you want to plan to replace that in 18 months? Right. I mean, routers tend to last a while. I, I would go and just, you know, what is it? An extra hundred bucks, right? Spend the money, get the AC capable router, it's got a better processor, it's got better antenna configuration, you're going to probably get better connections out of it right out of the gate, and it's going to support whatever new devices you bring into the house. so that that's my feeling is it's, it's not we're not yeah. talking about a, a, a $500 or thousand dollar difference. I mean I think it's less than 100 bucks to, to do that. I'd go AC and, and, and stop thinking about it. yeah
0: yeah I'm with you. Now Josh decided, so I gave him. So I'm like, here are my options. too. So number one, if you're going to use it as a primary access point, I would not even consider the Express. Get the Extreme. Right now, right. do you want to get the new Extreme, which is two ninety nine? Do you want to get a refurb, which is one sixty nine? Or yes, or you could get a refurb of the 802.11 dot N Extreme uh, for eighty five bucks. I I decided. do the re- I do the refurb of the new one. But what did he do? That uh, he did what I was kind of leaning towards, which was the 802.11n Extreme. So okay. he gets gigabit. He yep. gets 802.11n. Yep. Um, I, I agree with you. Yeah, if he's looking forward, but it sounds like he doesn't have any AC devices. So,
1: yeah. So he, look at, so so he saved case, 70 that, bucks. Correct. 70 bucks. And for some people... Well, I, no, I, God, I I get it. Man. It's hey, seventy bucks is seventy bucks. That's you know, depending on how many people in your family, that's at least a meal out. It might be two meals out, right? right. It, you know, I mean it. It's it's not an insignificant it'll, it'll amount of money. Serve
0: him for a number, a number of years. Yeah, I, and I, I, you I know I think what? The the express would have disappointed him because it would have more quickly limited him
1: yeah it and it's now. possible you know that 70 bucks uh go another year and a half two years you might be able to get the ac you know fifth generation one for 75 85 bucks and so maybe it didn't cost him any extra so there you go there you go you space out your purchase all
0: right yes sir uh and the refurb thing
1: can't no, that's recommend the, it enough i agree 100 buy refurb from apple it comes with the same warranty, and it's actually been tested by an Apple engineer. It's not fresh off the uh, the assembly line. I, I buy refurb as often as I can from that.
0: Well, I was shocked, actually, when I looked at the 802.11ac Extreme, Dave, 299 new, 169 Dude, yeah. that's a pretty
1: serious save. 169 a- is the price that makes it competitive with every other router of that ilk mm-hmm. out there, right? You, you know, this 299 price is like, for stoners, I don't know. It's too. It's crazy. I mean, really, you got <laughs> Buffalo you been to some concerts recently. Yeah, we're going to a lot of concerts. um it, it, you know, we got Buffalo and Asus and and Netgear and Linksys out there, all in that you know one seventy five range with these killer three by three AC routers. And then Apple is, you know, in the pipe dream land with two ninety nine. It's crazy. So, but the 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 refurb, it, it, I you know, don't think twice. It, you get the same warranty. It's totally worth it. All right. Uh, Scott writes One of the real annoyances of iOS is the persistent suggesting of apps in Safari when I attempt to access a web page that can also be reached via an app. Uh, to see an example, just point your iOS version of Safari to google.com. If you have the iOS version of the Google app installed, a box appears in the browser asking you if you want to view the app. And if you don't have it installed, it suggests that you should download it. I have made a conscious decision to use the browser and not the app in many instances and simply don't want to view or download the app. The pop-up box above the browser page is persistent. It reappears even if I've clicked the X to close it on several occasions, and that's very annoying. Short of using another browser, which I have ruled out for various reasons, is there a way to get these suggestions to stop? Uh, I've seen nothing in settings or within the browser that will accomplish this. So the answer is, though that X... And I, Apple has, I've seen, you know, Apple's engineers stand on stage and say this, uh, they they're, they're lying. Uh, but I, I swear at, at WWDC, when they first rolled this out, they said, oh yeah, if somebody hits that X, it won't show them the thing for, you know, like another a week or something. That's not true. Uh, it comes right back. If you, if you quit your browser and, and come back in, it, it, it shows right up and, and it is annoying. It's a, it's a simple little tag to put in a website to have that ad. And it's a, it's a nice thing, right? Because it, there are times when it's handy to know, Oh, Hey, wait, you know, I don't have to deal with the web interface on this. There's an app, but once you've consciously made the decision that I'm just going to stick with the web, uh, you don't need to be reminded. Um, and I, I, I'm with you. It's annoying. The only way to turn that off is, to turn on private browsing, that uh, that actually came from someone in our Google Plus uh, uh, forum uh, or in a forum link list uh, macmacgeekup uh, dot com slash Google Plus, uh, but uh, that idea, that solution came from somebody uh, in the discussion there. But that's the way to do it is turn on private browsing. Now that's not probably not the solution you're looking for because that turns off your browser history. It turns off all kinds of things and uh and that's not overly helpful right so uh but that is the the only way to disable that in safari there is no other you know uh, way to to granularly say turn this off and not everything else so y- you know um you say you don't want to use other browsers um, and I, and I totally grok that, you know, you get bookmark syncing and, and, uh, uh iCloud keychain and, and all of that, you know, uh, iCloud tabs are synced that way. It's, it's awesome. But Chrome is not a bad browser on iOS. And you can also do, if you sign into your Google account with it, you can sync between Chrome on your, uh, Mac and, and your windows desktop, uh, with, with that. It's again, it's not perfect. Uh, It's not as good as the Safari syncing in terms of just, you know, that, that ease of uh, simplicity, but it's pretty darn close. So that may be your answer, but it may not be, Um, you know, there's that, that, that's the other browser I use on iOS. I actually, well, I use three browsers on iOS. I use uh, Safari and that's really my primary. I occasionally use Chrome. If there's something about Safari, that's like mucking with me or whatever, uh, and then uh I use that red onion browser because uh, sometimes it's fun to to browse through uh through the Tor network. So uh so those are the those are the three that I use. And uh and we'll put links to all of them in the in the old show notes there. But what about you, John? Hmm. Huh? What browser do you use? Are you a Safari guy on I know I know you you use Ah, your question is what is
0: my browsing environment? I I would say I'm primarily ninety-nine percent of the time. Safari. Okay. Um, I do sync the bookmarks. I don't use iCloud Keychain because you keep telling me I should. Okay. Right. Um, That's a good reason nah. to
1: stop doing things. That's right.
0: <laughs> no, nah, I'm still a LastPass type of guy. Yeah, yeah. It writes great with all the browsers I use, which includes Safari,
1: Firefox, and Chrome. It works with all of your Mac browsers that you use and, and none Windows of those you- browsers, too. Sure. Come sure. Yeah.
0: That's true. What the program do? Um, no, I I would say I'm mostly. A bit. My default is a, you know set up in my computer is, is Safari. Um, rarely do I come across a page. You know, a lot of times like government or other fina- or financial services, which for whatever reason they're like, well, yeah, you know, we we're a Microsoft shop, and sure, and uh, you know, we're only going to support IE. So sorry yeah yeah <laughs> but for the rare site that doesn't work because i suspect it's a weird bug with safari i'll run firefox um chrome is my
1: third choice honestly huh yeah no uh,
0: firefox I is believe my, you. my second choice
1: yeah no on my mac that's true firefox is number two and chrome is number three yeah okay yeah but I, I you know, between
0: the three of those if something doesn't work then yeah
1: it's, it's seriously broken but firefox just... <laughs> doesn't exist on ios right uh, to my knowledge Not.
0: Not that I've seen. Yeah.
1: Right, right. Yeah, they they refuse uh, to, oh, that's right, because if they can't, Chrome uses WebKit on both iOS, which you have to, and also on the Mac, Firefox has their own rendering engine, and Apple won't let you put a browser on iOS that does not use Apple's WebKit. You know, I still think I have
0: Opera for some reason on one of my
1: iOS Well, Opera uses WebKit too. Yeah. Oh, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, I don't blame you know they've got their environment, they've got their thing. Why Mm. would you not? Why would you call something Firefox that's not Firefox, right? And it can't be on iOS, so that that makes sense. That makes sense. Right. Yeah. All right. uh, Jumping around here, you know what, John? I I want to do Heath. Are you ready to? uh, You ready to do Heath? You gonna jump to Heath? I can Um, read. I can read the question if you're not ready.
0: You know, I actually got some feedback from Heath. So th- this gets even more Great. interesting, Dave. Did you see the feedback? No. Oh, Go ahead. Good. It's awesome. All right. So what's he? Uh, what's Heath's problem? All right, man. We're going to tell you. Um, so Heath says he would like to thank us for, for the podcast. You're welcome. Um, here's my issue. None too big, I think. But I think he thinks wrong. He or she. I'm going to assume he. Sorry if I'm wrong. In my sidebar is this shared ID of HP 9C8E99, and that's all I'm going to read, but that's enough data for us to figure out what this is, which I'm going to tell you about in a moment. As you can see on the screen screenshot, some connection was attempted and failed. Attempting to get more info is of little help. I'm guessing this must have something to do with an old laptop my wife used to bring home from work, but is no longer using or brings home, but I'm not sure but I can't get the idea out of my sidebar and it's driving me nuts. I tried various Google Foo, but came up empty. Any ideas on what this is all about? Yes, Heath. I do. And I thought I had an answer, Dave, but then I have another answer. I go. what I said to Heath was, so as you can probably guess, uh, it's some sort of Hewlett Packard device. So as he told us, it started with the idea of HP and then the um, characters that came after that, Dave, I want to mention those. So nine C eight E nine, nine, don't read them all then, though. Cause I'm no, I'm not. Okay. Cause that, that would compromise his privacy, but that's right. The first six is enough for many sites and we'll, find one and link to it to identify the vendor of a device. So that is a Mac address or ethernet address. I would say Mac address is a better term. And the first six digits of those Tell you who owns it. So, this is an HP device. Now, the question is, Dave, was this a device that, as Heath suspects, was connected to long ago when the wife was using the machine on a foreign network, or is it something else? So, my initial advice was well, you know, here's how you control what's in the shared tab. So, the shared tab in the sidebar is different from all the others in that it's dynamically generated, in that it will reach out or go on the network or devices on the network will talk to it and say, hi, I'm here. And that's how it works. And you'll see things there. You'll typically see your NAS devices, other computers, um, or shared devices, like maybe an HP device. What could that be, Dave? (laughs) So I said, here's what you could try. So how do you control what you see in the sidebar with this setting? What you do is go to Finder, Preferences, Sidebar. Then you will see a shared category, and under the shared category will be, uh, I, I believe, three different options. I don't have one in front of me right now, and I, I'm working to get it here. But Basically, it says uh, Bonjour, you know, connected devices, and you know, maybe one other thing. And I'm like, well, you know what? You could go into this, you know, kind of hidden part of the Finder interface and click them off and on again, and see if that device. My suspicion was. You're shaking something loose that you saw at one point point it's stuck in some cache somewhere. So, by turning it off and on again, you'll get rid of it. Initially, he said, Yeah, that seemed to do it. Then he wrote back a couple of days later and said, I'm seeing it again. <laughs> then I was like, um, All right, Heath, I, I want to eliminate an obvious question here. Do you happen to have any HP devices on your network? Like maybe a printer? And the answer was yes. So, the answer, Dave, is that it, no, it was not a errant printer on the network that this thing used to be on. It is, in fact, a device on the current network that is reporting its status, probably via AirPrint and Bonjour. bonjour. Yeah. No, that would totally be Bonjour. Is the conclusion yeah. that we just came yeah. to. Now, the problem is... Uh, it that wouldn't it have to be now. Bonjour, but it, yeah, it probably is. Well, he wrote back and said that when I click on Bonjour, then it shows up when I unclick it in the preference that you told me about then it goes away uh, so my suspicion is this device is sharing its name in a not very elegant fashion now maybe it's the default name that's set in the device itself and to me that sounds like the thing so two options to get rid of it if you don't want to see it number one you know unclick the bonjour box or, or i think Heath has to, he has to drill down and uh, see what the settings are on the hp device itself but that's the story.
1: Yeah. If there, me. if there is, in fact, a setting to turn that off, right. You know, th- because there might not be. So um I you know, it, it is worth mentioning while we're here. Oh nice. Mm-hmm. Okay. Clickety click. Hang on. I heard the click. Yeah. All right, we're back. Sorry about that, folks. Uh had the uh some something, H I U Till on my Mac, John, had spiked up the uh, the CPU and caused, I think it was doing some kind of indexing of help files. It was sitting at a hundred percent, probably for five minutes on my machine here before it caused us any issue, which is, which is huge, right? Because it was indexing files and all that. But uh, invariably that kind of thing is, is going to cause an issue. And what it caused for me, John was a delay in the audio. Now I'm used to a short delay in speaking and then hearing myself back in the headphones, but this was like a second and a half delay. And uh I didn't want to have to live with that. So I, I did a hardware reset of the audio device and, and that seemed to, uh, uh that, that seemed to fix it. I didn't right. have to reboot. I just, I just powered it down.
0: Cause so. I looked that up because, you know, I was wondering, well, what's H I util, how would you even find out about such a thing? Dave, Google, Well, you could go to the terminal and do man, H I util. That's <laughs> what I did. And the uh, man is uh, uh, within Unix, uh, pages that tell you what things do. And when I did this, it said HI Util, Utility for Creating Examining Help Viewer Indices. It's like, huh? Why would that even come? Uh, yeah, whatever.
1: Right. You dealt with it. I did. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and somebody in the, uh, in the chat room was saying you should set up a separate user account on this computer so that you don't have, you know, surprises like that. Uh, that's essentially... Um, that's essentially what this computer is for me. I mean, I, I, the user account I have on this, I only use for the podcast. I, I don't really do anything else with it. So it essentially is that, I don't know what caused it to, to decide it was time to, Oh, Hey, good news. Uh, I just saw it start running again, but, but it went away. So we're okay. Uh, I did want to mention about this sidebar thing though, while we're, while we're back in there that, um, if you want to remove something, something from like the favorites section of your, the sidebar, you can just right click on it and and choose remove from sidebar. That doesn't get rid of the stuff that's in the the network part because that's just showing you what's being advertised, right? But but uh, but you can get rid of stuff right. in favorites, and you can reorder stuff in favorites. Favorites is actually kind of a cool thing in the in the sidebar that you can drag any folder or file that you want in there. So uh,
0: including hidden. yes that's right library which is what i've been doing ever since apple decided that mere mortals should not see their library folder you can if you navigate to it then drag it into the sidebar and then it's there yeah yeah that's what i do the other thing dave a, a, a mini tip here is in the shared section so as we as we said you know it's stuff that you have no control over it's just things that say hi i'm here you want to connect to me um if you click hide, so if you hover over it, you'll see it, it'll see some, you'll see something in the sidebar that either says hide or show. Sometimes I found toggling that will make things appear that for some reason hadn't appeared. And I don't know if it sends out a network query or something yep. saying, Hey, anybody out there? Hello, hello. But a lot of times I've had that where I've toggled it, all of a sudden something would all of a sudden pop into the list that I was expecting to be there long ago. Right, right,
1: right. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's interesting stuff. It uh, it keeps us on our toes, John. That mm. is for sure. Um, yeah. I don't what else know. What's we got here? I don't know. I think. Um, what's that? It's going down. It's all going down. Oh, no. It's, it's starting to do it again. I don't know what the deal is with this oh. thing here, John. I mean, I'm, I'm still, I'm fine. I'm not on delays, but I can see it starting to spike things up again. I don't know. It's decided. It's time to rebuild whatever my spotlight and my help indexes. But you know what? We've been here a while today, John. So, I think it's time. It's time to call in the band. Yeah, there they are. You can hear the band, right, John? I got that. Okay, good. I just wanted to make sure I got got that right. The right right wires crossed. Yeah, exactly. (sighs) Well, that was fun. Other than the simple little edit that I'm going to have to do so that you hear this as one file. I had to been resetting the audio interface. I had to uh, stop the recording. So I have to do post-processing of the show, which sucks. Right. I, you know, I, I, so, I, I don't like to have to do that. Yeah. So Dave is
0: interested in you hearing us, but we want to hear you. And how do we hear them, Dave? I'm going to tell you. We hear them because they pick up the phone. Be it their cell phone, their Landline phone their battlefield phone their phone from your favorite sci-fi series but whatever phone you have if you pick it up and at least in the United States if you dial I think we have to dial country code
1: but in the United States you don't 666 Geek day which is 4335 uh, you can also send us an email uh, and you can attach an audio file to that email if you want feedback at com
0: and no, I, I'm never quite sure if I hear daybreak right because a lot of times I think he says feedback at MacGeekGab.com.
1: I did say feedback at MacGeekGab.com. And what's really cool, John, is if you go and get the MacGeekGab app for your iPhone, you don't even have to remember that because it will let you send us feedback from right inside the app. And what's totally cool and was Corey's idea, and I love it is uh and it's been doing this for a while this is not new the ui is new it looks prettier but it will when you send an email from while you're listening to a show uh it tags the email with what episode you were listening to the timestamp, and the chapter that you were in so we know what we were talking about when you decided to send an email and that can be super helpful for us so please if you uh if you have an iphone Go download the uh, Mac Geekab App app. We would certainly appreciate it. And hopefully you like it and, uh, and you enjoy it. And, uh, y- you know, I, I mentioned Corey, uh, but of course, Michael Johnston uh, did all the UI elements for us and did a, a killer job on that. Michael, uh, as you know, converts the show from AAC or, or for, uh, to AAC and adds all the chapters and everything. Uh, he's also the host of the IOS Show podcast, which is an awesome show he does every week with, uh, with Jeff and Adam, too, usually. Uh, but he's always on it because it's his show. And also, GetAppler.com. a p p g e g e t a p p l r. So thank you, Michael, for all of the above there. You, uh, you rock. Also, Cashfly. C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y Provides all the bandwidth to get uh, The show from us To you The podcast marketplace as I mentioned Has M G G. Also directmailmac.com From the folks at E3 Software Additionally in the podcast marketplace Bare Bones Smile, Gazelle Squarespace iFixit All great people we're very fortunate and we're very fortunate to have you listening to us here. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back on Thursday. I think we're doing cool stuff found this week. We're either doing send in your cool stuff found. We're either doing it on Thursday or we're doing it on the flip side because I'm going away. And uh, so we'll do it on one end of the other or the trip. But uh, but we'll see you before I, I head off on my trip. Uh, we'll record the next Mac geek cab number 512 on Thursday and it'll be out for you right after between now and then have fun and don't get caught.
2: Made up.